Hello, how it work? Listeners, unfortunately, sometimes technology lets us down. And unfortunately, today is the day where it let us down for our podcast, specifically with my audio. Uh, we have the wonderful Lee Martin talking about remote work and about his book, Running Remote. And uh, rather than lose the moment where we asked these wonderful questions and got some really insightful insights from Liam, we've gone ahead with releasing this podcast. I just ask you to just bear with the fact that the questions that I ask sound a little bit distant and the audio is a little bit off, but still we get to the nub of the brilliant concepts and ideas around remote work that Liam is sharing with us. So I want you to be able to gain the insights from this. So once again, apologies for the audio and thanks so much guys for listening. Welcome to the Wow at Work podcast. I'm Stephen Dargan and this is Liliana, Liliana Ashton. And today our guest is the wonderful Lee Martin, co-founder and CMO of Time Doctor, which is a time tracking and their productivity platform. Also the co-organizer of the Running Remote Conference. And he's the author of a new book and that's just coming out called Running Remote as well. Lee, you're so welcome today. Thanks for having me. I'm wowed that I'm here because I've actually been in Lisbon the last couple of days and it's been really nice to disconnect because we just finished the conference about two weeks ago, approximately. So I'm just coming off that. Brilliant. And this is a real good example of how remote working works. So you are not from Portugal. You are not from Lisbon, but you're now working remotely for a while while doing other stuff as well in and and maybe this is uh, this is an oversimplification of it, but to me, people should be able to work wherever they want, whenever they want, as long as they actually get their work done. And I'm getting my work done, so I'm just doing it from Lisbon. It's very sunny outside. Fantastic. See, the whole idea of remote working was an anatomy to many people until about two and a big years ago as well. And I always imagined the scenario where if somebody in January 2020 went to the boss and they said, "Listen, I'm thinking of this." this idea of uh, working from home, working remotely. And the boss may have said in that situation, well, how do you think that's going to work? I mean, well, I'm just, all my work will be done from home. You can communicate via the internet, you know, I'll be, yes, I'll do all my work as normal and I'll send it to you, but you can communicate online. And I have a feeling that many bosses across the world would say, well, that won't be happening here. And then within the space of two and a half months, suddenly everybody realized this will be happening here. You entered the world of remote working before this even happened. Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing it for almost 20 years. And I remember February of 2020, 4-ish percent of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. In my March, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. That's the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. But the Industrial Revolution took 20 years. We did that in March. So an absolute and complete shift of everything that work is basically happened in less than 30 days. And your, to your point, it's very frustrating that it had to take a pandemic for a lot of employers to be able to allow for people to say, yeah, I'm going to go and work from Lisbon. I'm going to be just as productive, if not more productive. And I'm going to deliver my work on time. I'm going to be reliable in that context. And if I'm not, then you can fire me or you can have a chat with me uh, to be able to have me to go back to the office, right? That was such a difficult ask pre-pandemic, but then the pandemic produced this fantastic silver lining, which is now everyone on planet Earth has the option to work remotely. Most of them, I suppose. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, hopefully everyone, yes. You're right. Most of them do. I, I, 
So Elon isn't in that group with us, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know when this is going live, but but a week and a half ago, he basically said, everyone needs to be back in the office. You're going to be fired. And I totally understand actually Elon's perspective on this. He's working with a 20th century management philosophy in the 21st century. So he just needs to readjust the way that he's thinking about work and where it happens and how it happens. And if he can do that, I think he'll actually be way more productive at Tesla. But then also when you think about just the culture of Tesla, it's a 14 hour, 16 hour workday. So when you burn people out to that degree, uh, you can produce extraordinary results, but it just results in probably 10% of your team burning out every quarter that you have to replace. I don't know what the retention numbers of Tesla would necessarily be, but I do know Amazon has actually one of the most difficult retention issues in all of tech because they have that same philosophy, that 14 to 16 hour workday, which will catch up to you eventually. And you can only do that for a year or two before it basically burns you out and you've got to move on to something else. Yeah, I see in that whole argument with Elon Musk. I know Atlassian, uh, Scott Farkle, former Atlassian, who was the CEO of an Australian company. And they got into a bit of a spat because Atlassian had been working remotely. I think it was around about, uh, it was the summer of 2020, they said, nobody needs to return back to the office. And they're quite a proactive company. Uh, and they have been doing this for years. They would have done the 20% time that Google took on board before that even was a thing. And I don't think that Elon was very happy with what uh, Scott Farquhar from that company had said, that the CEO had said, and he'd actually put something on the website, if anybody from Tesla wants to come and work for us, we're taking on remote workers and we'd be delighted. And I think that's the big issue in this world now, isn't it? Isn't it the fact that people have options and those companies, the likes of, we could talk about the Goldman Sachs, we could talk about the JP Morgans that aren't really proactively into the whole remote idea, the ones that are fighting and pushing against it, because Scott Farquhar would have talked um, about the whole Elon Musk thing as pretty much like going back to the 1950s. Like, you're right, it's a 20th century concept of work in a 24th century where Elon Musk is trying to do 22nd century things with the you know, designs and the principles of space and all that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't make sense because anybody who works for Tesla who thinks that 14-hour days, as we talked about, is not something that's going to be able to be done for 10 years without burnout is at a high to nothing. So company people want to work for companies that are going to allow them those flexible hours, remote hours, are, uh, and shorter hours. Yeah. What I really think about with regards to work is it should be proof of work first, not necessarily the packaging. So male, female, gay, straight, different racial backgrounds. None of these things really matter at the end of the day, political views. It's do you get your work done and do you get it done reliably? And remote work offers the best vehicle in order to be able to deliver that type of work because all of these biases are effectively removed. We have a short that we ran at the Running Remote Conference, which was about this, this man named Fahim, who ended up becoming one of the best graphics designers on Upwork and Fiverr, but he lived in Dhaka, Bangladesh, number one, but then number two, he became a top 10 designer on these platforms, but no one knew that he had muscular dystrophy, that he could only just move his hand and that's it. So none of that was advertised, but he was an extraordinarily good designer. And I, I don't care how much you believe in equity and diversity. <laughs> if he walked into Tesla, if he walked into Google, if he walked into Facebook, walked in, rolled in because he has muscular dystrophy and said, hey, I want a job. 
as a graphics designer, they wouldn't have hired him. But they do hire him on these platforms because that bias is removed. And I think that's what we should really be fundamentally getting back to is just let's look at what actually gets done, not necessarily whether you're in the office for 16 hours a day, because just because you're in the office 16 hours a day doesn't actually mean that you get any work done. Actually, Jason Fried, I know you probably read the books, Jason Fried from Basecamp would have had that book re- rework and also the book. It doesn't have to be crazy to work here. And he says that in the workspace, there's, uh, there's not a lot of work getting done at work anymore. This would have been about five years ago when he wrote that book. And Basecamp, they're very good at promoting the whole idea of remote work before we even enter into the world that we're in at the moment. And they create the right technology and the right atmospheres for that to be able to happen. And his concept is not just that, that we should all be able to work remotely, but we should just do eight hours and go home. There should be no reason to be there beyond that point. So I like people who champion that and have been championing that from beforehand. One of the questions I have for you is, what are the benefits that you see? Now that we're talking about this remote working space, what are the benefits that, that you offer or, or that you see from working remotely for people? Oh, the first thing is that Work is no longer a place, something that you can take with you. And because you can do that, you can do things like become location independent, like we currently are. I can just go through all of the advantages that we, you know, advertise internally. So you can be location independent as long as you want within the requirements of the legal obligations that our corporations have in order to be able to make sure that we are not breaking any laws in another country, as an example. So the employer record industry is a big one that if you're thinking about location independence, connect with some of those companies beforehand. But we can travel the world. We can do whatever we want. You can have more time with your family, more time with your children. My wife right now is out with my daughter and they're exploring Portugal and I have about three more podcasts that I'm going to be doing this afternoon. But then when we come back, we'll all be able to connect and we're going to go out to dinner together. That's the beauty of remote work fundamentally for me as a big benefit. But then the other part of this, which I think is not spoken about that often, is the advantage of proof of work removing biases from a lot of the a lot of corporate America and like the Fortune 500 and generally in the world that you see where everyone talks about equity and diversity, but I don't think they actually speak that tr- that language truly when it comes down to brass tacks. Case in point, my friend Fahim, he never would have gotten a job, no matter how egalitarian those companies want to be able to put themselves um, forward. It's just not happening. But the beauty of remote work is that it just allows everyone and anyone to be able to get access to work opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise had. First example of that I would have seen was uh, about 2013. I walked across Spain. I did from it's the west of Spain. And on um, doing that, I met two Mexican computer programmers um, that had small little laptops in their bag. And they were also walking from Sevilla, Sevilla uh, down the south of Spain, all the way up to the north of Spain. And to do that, they would code for three hours in the morning and they would walk for the rest of the day. And that's how they made their way up uh, to the north of Spain. And I thought it was incredible. But the other thing that I think is hilarious, going back to, to Elon, I've been just PO'd with, to be honest with you, about how he's... I, I, I think right now we're, the PR war is happening live. Like in the next couple months, we're actually going to define, is remote work cool? Is it not cool? How, what percentage of the population is going to be working remotely? Right now, it's about 30% of the US workforce. is currently working remotely down from 45%, and we're about at zero. So there is a component of the population that's actually increasing their remote work, which is people that make more than $100,000 per year. 
So they went from 30 to about 30.7%. There's a really great data set from Slack that can give you great insights on this type of data. But the thing that frustrates me about Elon is he has one of the biggest tools to enable remote work, which is the satellite system that he's launched uh, that gives anyone on planet Earth access to high-speed internet wherever they are on planet Earth. And he should be a proponent of remote work because I actually think there's going to be tens of millions of people within the next few years that will be using his satellite system to get access to work opportunities that they would have otherwise never had. Is this an old school sort of uh, thought pattern like the likes of Elon's have it, maybe uh, Jamie Dean from uh, JP Morgan's and and Goldman Sachs, uh, David Solomon and all that kind of stuff have that the fear that they can't control people if they can't see them and they don't know how to do this. And there's probably a worry that lots of middle managers in organizations are really struggling with the idea of having to manage remote people, it's harder work. And, and I think that that's actually, that's the core premise of my book, which focuses on this concept, which I'm calling asynchronous management, which is what all of the remote teams pre-pandemic implemented to be able to overcome this over-monitoring that you're seeing in an office and focus more on a different philosophy towards management. And inside of that philosophy towards management, I studied over a dozen asynchronous organizations in preparing to write this book. And one of the most interesting factoids that I pulled out of it was in asynchronous organizations, the managerial layer is 50% thinner than in their on-premise counterparts. So there are 50% less managers in asynchronous organizations than there are on-premise synchronous organizations. And this makes a lot of sense because the platform actually becomes the manager, not necessarily the individual. The primary job of a manager is to simply communicate what their direct reports are doing to the next level above. So it's this interesting game of telephone that everyone plays. But asynchronous organizations don't do that. All of their metrics are digitized. The platform becomes the manager. So all of your metrics are on a platform that everyone else can get access to, dependent upon how open you are as an organization. And that's it. So the beauty of it is in these asynchronous organizations, there are more people working on big problems than there are people managing people doing work. And to me, this is an inevitability where this is a Model T versus a horse type of moment where you're actually seeing an exponential increase in the amount of work invested. And more importantly, the results of that work is measurable in a way that is more precise than any qualitative system that you've had previously. So you've got a really good system. And I'm thinking about pragmatics here. It's listen, whether you like remote work or don't like remote work, forget about that. Let's actually talk about the methodology that was built out of remote work, which is asynchronous management, and implement that as a philosophy. And by the way, you can also automatically work remotely (laughs) the very next day once you deploy this type of system inside of your organization. So this is the big piece that I think everyone is missing, is Elon doesn't understand asynchronous management. He doesn't understand the actual methodologies that all of these guys figured out basically a decade and a half before COVID. And if you simply implement that philosophy and that management system, you're actually going to have a much easier time at working remotely. Great. And there's so much tools that are out there to be able to help with that. I'm just wondering also, too, as well, uh, when we talk about uh, working remotely, what are the pitfalls that you might see people coming up against? Yeah, especially companies have just decided that maybe remote working is something that they want to delve into. But what are things they need to look out for? Sure. So social isolation is probably the biggest one that 
I think on an individualistic level is the one that everyone needs to be able to measure against. The biggest psychometric green flag inside of a remote organization is introversion. So introverted people work much better in remote first environments than extroverted people. There are ways to be able to allow extroverted people to work successfully inside of remote organizations, which is generally giving them access to a co-working space, giving them, you know, telling them they can work from a coffee shop if they want to, even allowing some type of satellite office system so you can go in one or two days a week and you can get that type of energy from people. So that's the biggest thing is introversion and paying attention to people and making sure that they don't become lonely inside of their work. The other part of it is miscommunication. We have a rule which is always assume positive intent because we communicate asynchronously, meaning we don't communicate live on a Zoom call the vast majority of the time. We communicate through project management systems, through email, through instant messages, through videos. Sometimes that information can be miscommunicated in a negative way. Like someone who writes a one-line email and says, please fix, uh, who, it, which is actually a story that I got from WordPress, uh, which was these people writing these one-line emails and everyone thought that they hated them. When in reality, these people were just not very good at socializing <laughs> and they just recognized that they just needed to write these one light. They, they needed to communicate more effectively to be able to show, hey, I'm not angry at you. I just need you to be able to fix this particular problem inside of the organization or I need you to fix this line of code. And so that's the big thing. Assume positive intent. If you believe that someone doesn't like you, that's when I do suggest that you go synchronous and you just jump on a Zoom call and say, hey, I've seen these emails coming in. I don't know where your head is at, but they seemed a little negative to me. This is just my interpretation of it. What can I do to help or am I completely wrong? And working out those issues as quickly as humanly possible. And then I would probably say the third biggest problem is lack of documentation. So that's the one of the biggest pitfalls inside of remote first organizations. Asynchronous companies document everything because they are asynchronous. So it's a forcing function for them. When you don't have a meeting like this, where we're recording this call, but we're not dictating it and we're not putting it into our project management system. But if you collect all that information and you make it indexable by anyone, you digitize it and you make it indexable, then people can actually get access to it whenever they want. And they can get answers to pretty much any problem that might pop up for them. And the vast majority of companies don't do that. They just use synchronous communication as the major tool to be able to proliferate information. And that burns out the manager and really makes the employee super stressed out because you get lots of random messages saying, hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? Don't ever do that, by the way. That's one of the worst things you can possibly do to an employee is the manager sending a random Slack message saying, can we talk for five minutes? They think they're getting fired every single time, <laughs> even though they're not. Yes. And on the subject of stress, Liam, I just I got this question uh, from your research and everything that you've done so far amazingly for remote working. Do you know of any good case studies of companies that have made breathwork available to workers? I can't think of specifically breathwork examples, but I can tell you that there are a lot of companies that employ online like psychology teams. The best one in the market right now that we use is a company called BetterHelp. Not necessarily, uh, they didn't pay me to say that, but 
it's a team of online professionals and it's basically you can just query them whenever you want. So if I'm having a mental health issue, we provide a certain amount of money for every employee if they want to have access to these types of professionals and really break down any issues that they might have. So that's the biggest thing that that we personally do. There is another company called Juno, which is really good, which provides the provides a certain amount of money to every single employee. And this is like a service but then it allows the individual employee to choose their perks. So do you want a gym membership? Do you want to be able to have free lunches? Do you want to be able to get access to better help? You can optimize your personal budget the way that you want to as the individual employee. And in that case, probably they would have those types of programs. Fantastic. And would you say that to any uh, synchronous events, just to connect people that are working in the same organization, but are, that have a theme to, to do with the type of services that these two companies, BetterHelp and June, are offering, would you think that would be a good idea to help? Oh, absolutely. So at the core of every HR problem, I think there's forced versus voluntary action. So I've seen a lot of this during the pandemic where it's forced culture. It's culture at gunpoint. So at Friday at 5 p.m., everyone needs to report to a Zoom call where we're all going to play Cards Against Humanity, but the, but the HR-approved version, not the actual fun version, and your beer will be FedEx to you in the next 15 minutes. If you poll people anonymously and you say, would you like more or less of that? 95% of people say less. And the reason why I know is because I've challenged people and I've said, let's run an anonymous poll and find out. They do not like it. Why? Because it's forced. So meet those people where they are, right? Are they really passionate about what they're doing in the organization? So that's the first big assumption that I'm hopeful that everyone has inside of their organizations, which is, do you have a vision for what you want to do with your company? Ours is we want to be able to help the world's transition towards remote work. That's what we do. As a, that's our mission as an organization. If you're not excited about that, then don't work at this company. And I'll try to find you another job for more money as quickly as humanly possible. And I'll keep you employed until we can do that. Create an environment in which someone can say, I've lost my passion for remote work. Great. Let's get you out of the company as quickly as possible so that we can actually get someone in that is excited, have cult-like commitment towards that mission and that focus. And then outside of that, let people do whatever the hell they want to do. So is it breath work? Is it yoga? Is it, I want to go to the gym and get as jacked as humanly possible. I got one guy that works in the company that's, he's, he looks like, <laughs> he's ridiculous. Uh, he's like 300 pounds of pure muscle. That's what he really wants to do. He probably doesn't want to do breath work, but we're just meeting people where they are. And we're, we want to be able to provide the environment in which they're really excited about working in the company. And anything that's forced generally doesn't work. I like that idea because I know there was a big sort of revolt in uh, Basecamp and Jason Fried, the CEO of the company, who would offer free gym membership. Um, so they took that back and said, listen, we can't, we can't make you think, oh, we don't want to put you in a place where we think that this is what you definitely need to be doing with the money that we've given you. So they, they changed the options within the organization. I think that's important too as well. Forceful never works. And that's for certainly where we come from and we do uh, sort of happy workplace uh, programs for organizations. And the Basecamp example, I mean... And, and I feel for those guys because I think they lost about a third of their org chart. And I actually think, without commenting too much on on Basecamp, and I have an utmost respect for them as an organization, 
they lost touch of their culture. So when a third of your company quits, either the founders weren't aligned to the culture that was being developed, that changed, or those course corrections were not made quick enough. And really, the founders of the company are the ones that set the culture and the set the mission for the company. If you start to see that moving, you need to snap it back into place as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, and if you're not doing that, then you're going to unfortunately turn your company into an environment that you don't even want to exist in. And I think really those guys were between a rock and a hard place where they said, wow, I don't think we really like the culture that we've built here and we're going to make a change. And so they made a change and I absolutely respect their change, but then also those employees ended up leaving from that change. And that's just a very public, unfortunately, very public, bloody version of that type of thing that's occurring. If I made a decision like tomorrow, hey, we are not about remote work anymore. We don't want to talk about remote work anymore as a company. Probably half the company would leave. I would hope they would actually, <laughs> because that's the core fundamental mission of everything that we're doing as an organization. If there was three options given to, to, to a team or to an organization, and the three options were back in the workplace, full-time, hybrid work, whatever, three and two, two and three, whatever they, way they want to work it, or remote work, what do you see being as the best option and what's second place? Let me tell you the breakdown first. It's about 60% hybrid right now. It's about 20% completely remote and 20% back to the office as it stands. Now, the hybrid definition is quite variable, right? Because hybrid could be, oh, well, you take one day off a month to work from home, as an example, or it could be I work four days from home, or what the real plan right now, which is still technically hybrid, is because of the EOR situation, employer of record situation, which we currently have, at least in the United States and actually throughout Europe as well, you have to be able to prove your tax status in a particular country. So whenever you see one of these companies that say, you're remote, but you must report to work one day a month, it's for legal obligations. That's why it's there, right? It's not because they want to keep that extra day a month and keep people in the office. It's because they know that they need to prove that to the Internal Revenue Service in the United States, as an example. That is a tax resident of California, that type of a thing. But that's still technically considered hybrid. In terms of my interpretation, I would probably say the best situation is remote. The second best situation is back to the office. And the third and worst situation is hybrid based off of where I see it right now. I think that hybrid gives you none of the advantages of remote work, but yet you're coupled with all of the problems of the office as well. And there's a big kind of phenomenon inside of hybrid work, which is called distance bias, which is the closer that you are to a decision maker, unfortunately, the more your decisions are brought forward. And if you're a remote worker, you don't have as much face-to-face -face time with your manager, particularly if you're asynchronous and these other employees are synchronous. And so it creates an environment where a lot of those remote workers feel disenfranchised because their ideas are not getting moved forward anywhere near as much as their on-premise employees. So they either quit the company or they move into the office against their will. It must be harder to manage uh, people doing the hybrid model as well, trying to get timings right between people in and out of office. And, like I did a call the other day. I've actually yesterday it was into yesterday the day before into Brighton in the UK, based here in Ireland, into Brighton in the UK, where they had me on a laptop and then the people present in Brighton because I couldn't be there. 
And you can see a sort of a, a difference or a disconnect for the person that's on the computer, whereas everyone else is in the room eating strange pastries and having coffee and then you're included every now and then. It's a lot of hard work to try and include a model like that if you try to get the whole team together, but some are in the office and some are, are outside of the office too as well. And as you talk about the politics that are involved in that too, you're up there, are you heard? Are you less likely to be promoted? Is there going to be more chat after the conversation has ended and you've closed your, your, your laptop and are they talking in the room as sort of saying that maybe Steve's point wasn't really uh, what we want uh, you know, to be able to advance in this conversation, stuff like that. We call that undocumented conversations in asynchronous organizations. So nowhere in an asynchronous organization should a conversation not be documented. All conversations should be documented unless, and again, HR issues are something that I put in another box. But generally, if if I say, hey, Stephen, listen, Liliana's great, but you don't want to do what Liliana wants to do. We want to do this other thing, right? If you have that type of conversation in an undocumented way, number one, Liliana is completely disenfranchised from this conversation. She's not able to actually respond to it. And more importantly, I don't have the balls to go directly to Liliana and say, I think you're an idiot and here's why, right? Those are the types of conversations to be radically candid in front of other people in a respectful manner in order to be able to move the organization forward. And I think that those are the issues that we're going to continue to see in hybrid and it's only going to get worse as we fully integrate into a kind of post-COVID endemic COVID world where we're going to see the biggest choice be hybrid right now. And it is difficult. Uh, I just actually got off of a call with a friend of mine from a very large company, 500,000 employees. And he's saying, I'm going with hybrid and like they're going with hybrid as an organization. And he's very much thinking about quitting because he just can't deal with it anymore. He can't deal with his stuff not getting moved forward because he's just not respected as much as the employees that are in the office. Absolutely. And not to mention the, the, the loss of energy and resources and redoing things and people going really in different directions because they're not previewed to those undocumented conversations that you're just mentioning. So in that case that you've just put forward very well is I would have gone away and spent time and energy and budget to do whatever we agreed on during that call, where in fact, maybe something else was decided afterwards. So it's the waste of time and resources as well. It's so, yeah. a complete waste of time and resources. And it's really unfortunate because I think that the vast majority of the those problems could be solved with a little bit of radical candor, just speaking to everyone and saying, I, I believe the secret to life is being comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And the more of those that you can have, um, in your personal life, in your work life, like, I'm not happy in this relationship any longer, and here's why. Or I don't think that you're capable of completing this particular position inside of the company, and here's why. And also getting that information back to yourself. Such a game changer if you can accept that type of critical feedback, but the vast majority of people unfortunately can't. And that's another thing that I think we really need to teach in our transition to like, I wouldn't even call it remote work. I'm going to call it more asynchronous work because I think that the real key is going to be this methodology that everyone understood before the pandemic in the remote work world. And then the entire world went remote and no one actually paid attention to all this work had been done over the last decade and a half. So that's why I'm, I'm writing this book to be able to get that out there to a lot more people.
Not to mention the introverts, of course, because introverts are going to be the ones that will struggle the most to be able to express those feelings and, and, and thoughts. So yes, it's, well, I suppose that's something as a challenge that we need. That is the magic part of this too, by the way, which is introverts are very comfortable debating things asynchronously as opposed to synchronously. So if you go into a boardroom and these boardrooms that are in glass boxes, you can generally figure out whose idea is going to get adopted without even listening to them. It's the six foot five white guy that looks like Captain America. That's generally the guy who, if I were to put my money down on whose idea is going to get adopted most often, it's that guy. Because there's a lot of bias inside of someone who's tall, good looking, you know, big guy. That's the guy that's usually going to have his ideas adopted the most. But does he have the best ideas? No, he doesn't. Generally, he's usually actually sometimes got the worst ideas in the room, but his ideas are the ones that get adopted most often. And it's because introverted individuals can't necessarily, they don't have the skill set to be able to debate out an issue synchronously with Captain America because they're very intimidated by Captain America. But they're more than happy to be able to go on a base camp thread and very clearly lay out their arguments as to why we should do B instead of A. And this works if you're introverted, if you're a woman, if you're a minority, you know, it's like all of these biases that we do have in synchronous communication really get suppressed and effectively, to me, are moot once you actually move to an asynchronous platform. We use would use liberation structures would be a format of if you've ever used that with their teams to be able to allow those introverts to be able to have their thought on their own thought process and their own about the idea we've given them and then we move into groups of two and into groups of four. So we generate the idea through through a group of people. So uh, we include all those introverts. Because I always think about when it specifically comes to introverts, there's so many fantastic introverts that have not had a chance to uh, share their ideas. And um, Bill Wozniak of Apple certainly wouldn't have been an extroverted human being, whatever you know, his ideas were quite incredible when you think about what he's, he's delivered to the rest. Yeah, I like the idea of that. The other question I have to you as well is, uh, is the idea of company culture. If companies have really poor culture, are people wanting to, to leave those companies and move to an online sphere where companies allow them to be able to do that? Or if the company culture is really poor, is it an escape to go on at the remote and so you escape the toxic experience that might be having? I hope so. Money's good too, right? There's a lot of people that stay in bad jobs because it's a reliable check. But at the end of the day, that's probably not going to make them happier. I have an interesting perspective with regards to culture as well, which is I think it's less about the people and more about the work. And that's specific to asynchronous remote organizations, meaning it's not about whether you get pizza on Thursdays or you get a cake on your birthday. It's more about what's the mission and vision of this company? Why am I really excited to be inside of it? Would I do this job for free? If, if all of a sudden I got $100 million, would I stay in my job? If the answer is yes to all of those things, then you're incredibly excited to be able to stay in the company and you're also really excited to be able to overcome people that are in the organization that maybe you don't necessarily agree with that much, or maybe you, you, know, you have a little bit of tension with, because you're so excited about trying to dent the universe in a positive way. And this is what most asynchronous organizations really focus on. So every single meeting that is either asynchronous or synchronous that I've seen, 
people reinforce the mission and vision of the company and what they stand for. It's at the very top of every meeting document that I see in these asynchronous organizations. And like employees are quizzed about the company culture and the vision and the mission of the company. And if they don't succeed at actually understanding those and fundamentally living those, then you get them out of the company as quickly as possible. I actually think there's a, a e-commerce company called Shopify and they are completely remote. They have almost 10,000 employees and they do a vision and culture fit before they even look at your resume. So you could be the best qualified person on planet earth. You could be the best engineer on the planet. They don't look at your qualifications at all. They look at, does this person connect with our culture? And is this person excited about our mission as a company? And if the answers are no, and they don't work with them, <laughs> then they don't look at the resume and they move on. And I think that's a very ballsy way to be able to operate as a company, but it's worked out pretty well for Shopify. I like companies that do that. I know there's a company in Brighton there called Propellernet, uh, and they, they do this really, really well in their organization. They've got 15 core values in the organization. And before the onboarding process happened, so they've decided that the person seems like a right fit for the organization. They showed them the 15 values. So they know this is what we're going to live by once you enter into the organization. And if you feel uncomfortable with them or think that they don't uh, fit your values, you can make a decision now on whether to, to stay or not. And I like that idea. You know, so everybody's aligned with what's going on. Just before uh, we get towards the end of what we're talking about today, I, I, like I, I mentioned earlier as well that some companies, the big companies, the likes of the Goldman Sachs, they're beginning to come on board now a little bit. But JP Morgan and other companies and the Elons and that kind of stuff, they're fighting against the whole idea of working remotely. That might be down to things like maybe they've got high costs and they bought a lot of buildings. They've got like rental contracts that they have in place as well. What do you think also might be playing into that? Oh, boy. I can tell you the ones that I really think it's ego. A lot of the time it's, um, well, I go into an office and there are a thousand people in here and I get to tell them all what to do. And when I walk into a room, everyone pauses and looks at me. And I like that. And that's a massive ego boost for me. And I would like to continue to have that in my life. I have, I've gone through a very long Socratic method of just asking questions. Okay, so why are you keeping the office? Oh, they're more productive when they're in the office. But you said they were more productive when they weren't in the office. We don't know about that. Is it true? Like, where did you get your information from in the first place? What do you know what they were how productive did you think they were before they were in the office? How were you measuring it? I go through this process. At the end of the day, ego is pretty awesome. Like, you know, you want your ego stroke. That feels great. And so a lot of people, I think, are really looking at that as the core reason as to why they're still sticking in the office. And some of them have billions of dollars worth of real estate, you know, holdings that they have to, that they have to do something with right? A whole bunch of people had billions of dollars worth of Luna, that cryptocurrency that went to absolute zero about three months ago. Just because you're holding something that's worthless, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should continue to hold it. So I think that's an important point to be able to reinforce is recognizing that you have to look inside yourself, say, why do I really want to be able to go back to the office? Is there a real legitimate reason or is it something that has more to do with myself? than necessarily the productivity of the organization. Can you give us three tips that you would give any supervisor, leader, or manager that is, that is leading a remote team? The three things that they definitely need to be doing to ensure that team works effectively and so like their, 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 um, 
like Eric Florence there. Top three things from the uh, running remote book, delivered over communication, democratized workflow, and detailed metrics. You need to be able to communicate in a very premeditated way. You need to be able to record those conversations, make sure that two years from now you can go back and figure out why a decision was made. You can have an archaeologist go back and actually figure out issues inside of the organization. The second one is democratized workflows. So build process documentation inside of your organization. Make sure it's built from the bottom up. Your entire organization is opted into this process. What I suggest that people do is spend an afternoon today writing everyone in the company how I do my job. It's about a five-page document. We've got some at the Running Remote website that you can just download and get access to. And very easy to be able to get you on that road towards documentation. And then the third one is detailed metrics. You don't need managers to record metrics any longer. And unfortunately, that's the vast majority of their job. They need to actually focus more on EQ side, on leadership side activities. How are you? How can I make your work better? Not what are your metrics? Are your numbers good this week? Because all that information should be digitized and documented and indexed and available to everyone inside of the organization. Right, so they're just basically coaching people in those situations rather than managing people. Lead people, don't manage them. The fundamental piece for me is don't manage people, lead them. Um, because asynchronous organizations remove all the boring parts of management and you can only focus on the really exciting parts. Liam, thank you so much for sharing with us, which I think is going to be the future of work. Certainly, uh, remote working is here to stay, even though you've been 20 years uh, talking about this and we've all just been forced into it in the last two and a half years. This is something that I suppose that if companies think that remote working is going to go away, they're wrong. It's, it's going to be part of life. And what's going to happen is the Gen Zers and those people that are entering the workforce now have seen through transparent means the flexibility that some organizations are providing to work and they're going to go work for them. So the best talent are going to follow the remote work in the four day weeks is another uh, conversation that we're going to have soon. I, I think it's a beautiful avenue to go down. It's something that if I'd have known about when I was much younger, I certainly would have grasped that. I do it now because I'm here talking to you in Portugal and I do when I talk to teams in, in the UK and talk to teams in America and I don't need to get on a plane and I don't need to drive to the airport and all of those things and we're saving the environment, we're helping things less uh, CO2 and all those different types of things. If people want to contact you in the future or find out more about what you do and your, and your book, you let us know what they are. Sure. If you just type in Running Remote into Google, you'll be able to find our conference. Runningremote.com slash book is where I have all of those process documents that you can just get access to. And if you don't want to go to the conference or you can't afford the book, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash runningremote. That is where we put all of our talks up for free. So if you want to get all the information about remote work, it's uh, it's available to you right there. This was amazing. I've learned, but personally, I've learned an awful lot, even though I have been doing remote working for a long time. But yes, it's been enlightening. So thank you, Liam, for my part as well. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. So Liam, all the way from Canada. Liliana is really from Argentina, uh, based in the UK now, and I'm here in Ireland. This is a great mix. Fantastic, Liam. Thank you so much. <laughs>